Hello and welcome to another episode of Earbuds Engaged, Portfolios of the Young Professional. In today's episode, I am so excited to share with you our first interview. Uh, this is truly the portfolio of a young professional. Uh, so now we get to use that tagline. Uh, Elena and I were super excited to hear that a former colleague of ours, Edna John, was in town to visit some friends for Thanksgiving, and luckily we were able to catch up with her. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy hearing her talk about her journey so far after college. Uh, she's such a warm spirit and an absolute delight to be around, and also I'm low-key jealous of her aesthetic. Uh, you know how some people always look so put together, but they don't look like they're trying that hard for it? That's totally Edna. Uh, you can't see her, so I thought that was worth mentioning. <laughs> Uh, without further ado, let's hear the interview. For our first guest, we are excited to have Edna John on. She comes to us from Honolulu, where she plays third flute and piccolo in their symphony, and is also a former colleague of ours from Carnegie Mellon. So welcome, Edna. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me here. I'm really honored to be a part of your podcast. When I think of Edna, I think of two things. Her performance of Zoom Tube, oh, and man. how she likes to call everything a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, it always sticks out. Yeah, I still do call things dumpster fires a lot. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. Okay, so tell us your story after you graduated from Carnegie Mellon. After I graduated, I spent a year in Pittsburgh just taking lessons with my teacher and also with Lorna McGee of the um, Pittsburgh Symphony and also with Jennifer Steele. Um, I applied to DMA programs and during my process I realized that that's really going back to school is not what I want to do again and while that was happening I was called by the principal of the Hawaii Symphony who I met at a festival. It's actually the Hawaii Performing Arts Festival, I think like three, four years ago. And she remembered me, um, she kept in touch with me, and she called me and said, hey, do you want to come sub with us? And are you ready to play piccolo? And of course I was not ready. I had never played or practice piccolo really ever. Oh, I'm sure you've played it before. Yes, I've played yeah. it um, in school, but I've never studied the excerpts really. I never practiced it that much. I know mm -hmm. um, Alberto Onmarza, my teacher at Carnegie Mellon, he always emphasized, you know, just play 20 minutes every single day. But, you know, as a student does, I never <laughs> took any of his advice. <laughs> I highly regret it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and I just, I just, I remember lying with my heart racing. I was like, I will be a hundred percent prepared by the time I get there. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, Can you send me some any recordings that you have, um, any piccolo recordings? And I had just recorded one excerpt on piccolo for um, for pre-screening stuff. And I said, I only have this one piccolo excerpt. I've, I don't have anything else. I have a lot of flute things. I can send you that. And he, she said, send me everything. And so <laughs> I did. Yeah. And then they called me. And then I subbed. I flew out on January 1st of this mm -hmm. year. And I played their Beethoven 9 concert. 
which was very Big. scary on Pickle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you... Did they have the singers? Sorry. Oh. Yes. Oh, did they? Yes, they had the yeah. whole chorus. So you had to do that whole Piccolo solo. Yeah. That's really long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then what sort of practice schedule did you start leading up to? Like, how much time did you have between, all right, you got the job, now you come fly down for it? Well, this was just a sub, right? Yeah. So oh, the first sub, time. So. Yeah, the first time in January, um, I subbed for them, and then I couldn't for February and March because that's when all the DME auditions happened. Mm-hmm. And then I went back for their May and their their last concert um, in June, and then I spent you know the summer in Aspen, and then they offered me a one year contract. And so I moved there in September, I think just a couple of days before our season started. Mm-hmm. And then now we're halfway through the season. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, I, I'm going to ask one more time because maybe it's just me not knowing. But <clears throat> how much time do you get to prepare for something, even if you are just a sub? Like a week, a couple of days? Um, not I usually, even? when... For me, when I'm called to sub, what I did was I would contact the librarian and say, can you scan me the music? Mm-hmm. Because, you, I mean, you have to pick it up, but I'm too far away, so right. I just mm-hmm. ask her to scan everything she can, and I find everything on MSLP. Mm-hmm. And for me, it takes, I would say it takes a lot of time researching the pieces, because I don't want to mess up, and I make sure that I listen to things and I know it, enough that even if I miscount the rest, I know exactly where to come in because mm-hmm. I don't want to be fired. Right. <laughs> and be as professional as I possibly can. I, I practice a lot more before the first rehearsal. And then I think when the rehearsals start going, I feel like I practice a little bit less, at least yeah. the, that particular repertoire mm-hmm. that we're doing. Um, just like trouble spots, hard places, things I have trouble on technique or um, intonation, so there's a lot of drone work, um, metronome work. Yeah, yeah, standard practice stuff. Right. Yeah, standard yeah. stuff, but nothing as rigorous as before the first rehearsal, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that still holds true. Being a contract musician with them now, is that all of these pieces that they do, they're all new to me. Every mm-hmm. every piece is something absolutely new. For them, they've been playing the symphony for thirty to forty years now. That it's not really new anymore. They just kind of whip it out and they go, Cycle oh, through. this thing again. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they they play it. But for me, I need a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, you know, with the symphony schedule, we have like a week or two of work and then we get a week off. And I thought, you know, I'm not really doing much. I have maybe one or two rehearsals a day. They're like two and a half hours, maybe three sometimes. So I will have a lot of time to practice. But it turns out I actually don't because I am always busy preparing for the next thing, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I'm only, I have a contract, but it's only for a year and who knows when they can fire me and I don't want to give them a reason. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be as prepared as I possibly can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, how often do they cycle through the music? Would you say it's like every three years, every five years, every ten years, they like kind of play the same stuff again? Or, I don't know. From what I've heard, it's seven years. Okay. Um, Specific. I've heard, yeah. Um, so I think it really depends on the programming. Of course, the pop stuff, you can't 
go with the seven year rule. Like, yeah. You have to you have to play it every year. And there are some pieces that show up on on Pops concerts or on children's concerts that you play all the time. Like um Verdi. Um there's there's a Verdi overture. I, I forget the name of um why am I blanking out? I play this three times already. But yeah, um, like that piece. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, things things cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And would you say that the Pops concerts tend to be more popular? I would definitely say that the Pops concerts are very popular. They're almost always sold out. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Masterworks, we have a lot of subscription audience, of course. But they're mostly Sunday goers. So our yeah. Sunday concerts are a lot more full than our Saturday concerts. Um, and those are still matinees though, right? Yeah, Sunday yeah. is matinee. Is Saturday a matinee as well? No, Satur- Saturday is evening. It's at 7.30. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think especially in Honolulu, it's such a small, you know, it's a, it's an island. So mm-hmm. there's only so many people coming to concerts at a time. Right. I wonder if the Pops concerts attracts the tourists who are coming in and they're like oh that'll be a fun thing to go do yeah. mm-hmm. because well, we know that music especially when they did the harry potter that was a huge thing yeah how many nights was that that was three nights we usually do two pops concerts mm-hmm. but i think because they were sold out they added another one on friday yeah yeah and, and that's with the film live out. yes yeah. Oh, it was I with would, the film yeah. live? Yeah, it was so the you fourth played, film. You played through the entire film, the film score. The Goblet of Fire. That's, That's a the long one! one. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! I just people came like all dressed up and everything I yeah, saw Yeah, they were Facebook. really excited. Apparently, I'm excited! <laughs> I want to go. I think, I mean, that, I wish they would do more. Like, if you did a whole Harry Potter series... Yeah, they it's do. It's the same as doing, like, the Wagner operas, but for more people. I thought yeah, that was exhausting. Certainly. It was kind of exhausting, because I also played alto. So it was alto, flute, wow. and piccolo. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it was exhausting on my embouchure to have to switch back and forth. But it was really fun. I think they do... They go through the whole series. So oh. next year will be the fifth one. So they've done three oh, so far. Oh, that's so cool. And then, and then and they the, cycle again. Oh, like, go so to this Hawaii is their third... <laughs> cycle of Harry Potter. And the music for that is really good. It's not just like dinky music. It's really, I mean, it's John Williams, but... The the first three are by John Williams, but the fourth one is by Patrick Doyle. What about the fifth one? The fifth one's my favorite score. I don't know. It gets darker in the fifth. Yeah, well, also, the bassoon has a really cool part in the, um, (laughs) well, in the mysteries, the, what is it called? Hall of Prophecy? Is that really it? Department of Mysteries. It sounds so cheesy Department to say it now. Department of Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of the Department I of know Mysteries. it is cheesy. It's like, was there any effort? It was like it was written for, you know, 13-year-olds or something. Yeah, weird. Is, yeah. Okay, anyway. <laughs> well, where was I going with... Oh, there's a really cool bassoon part in that in that spot. That That's all I was trying to say. So that's like one of my favorite ones. That's it. <laughs> so I want to hear more about your life in Hawaii on an island... Island life is very different, certainly, from the rest of the mainland. <laughs> Things are, well, especially Honolulu, where I live. Um, I live in the Waikiki area, which is the most uh, tourist-heavy part of Honolulu. Mm. So I see a lot of travelers and tourists, really. Mm-hmm. Public transportation is not as convenient as you want, and things are very expensive there, and... Um, deliveries take a really long time. 
It can take up to at least two days all the way up to a month. It's kind of a hassle. The buses run on Aloha time. But also, um, it's, it's definitely something you have to work to get adjusted to, I think. It's a very different lifestyle. You're halfway between Asia and the United States. They don't really follow either cultures. country. Yeah, yeah, they don't follow mm. anywhere else's rules. It's a mix of culture because they have Chinese, they have Japanese, they have Korean, they have Polynesian, um, Puerto Rican, uh, anything you can think yeah, of. Yeah, everybody. It's, it's a very diverse place. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've learned is that the people, the residents of Hawaii are very interested in your ethnicity and it's not as a way to discriminate. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to get to know you better because a lot of people are many things there. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just it's just a way of getting to know you, which is, I thought was very interesting. And I've learned that for traditional Hawaiians, being in a hurry is not dignified. So mm-hmm. hmm. to maintain your integrity, you do things at at the pace that it is given. Aloha time. It, exactly. <laughs> that is, it is aloha time. And aloha, aloha is a way of life. Um, it's a way, oh. it's a belief. It's not just, it's not just a greeting. You know, it's yeah. It really, mm-hmm. truly embodies their lifestyle. Mm. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you know anyone when you went down there? Or have you had to make all new friends? I only knew Sue, who is the principal of a flutist of the symphony and I didn't know anybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the first few times I was asked to sub before I was offered the contract, I just commuted from California. A lot of musicians still commute back and forth. Wow, oh, that's which, interesting. Yeah, it's very expensive because Hawaii there is no down season. So yeah, when the United States is not on break, the rest of the world is. Mm-hmm. So there's never a season where tours dwindle and mm-hmm. so airfare is always the same it's always mm-hmm. expensive and same with hotel fees once I was offered the contract I considered continuing flying back and forth but it's just too much and it's also very exhausting to be spending two weeks at a hotel mm-hmm. or like an Airbnb or with somebody so I ended up getting an apartment mm-hmm. yeah but I definitely went not really knowing anybody else. I've made a few friends in the symphony and I've found some people um, through like yoga, through the yoga community and through some people at the audience. Yeah, but it's not not many yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and you said it's a year contract, so I'd say living in Honolulu would be worth doing for a year. It is a gorgeous place to live and I love being a tourist, um, at least for the first year. I feel lucky that I get to live there for a year because, I, you know, how many people can say, hey, I lived in Hawaii for a year mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. for longer, who knows? Yeah, definitely awesome to put on your resume to yes. build that up. Okay, so then tell us your dream life. My dream life would be, of course, to have a job in the symphony, <laughs> um, preferably not playing the piccolo, but you know mm-hmm. I'll take anything I can get. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and also to have a chamber ensemble. I really enjoy playing with the woodwind quintet, and that's it would be ideal to have a group. 
actually my old college buddies and I have been working on putting a professional ensemble together. We've been playing together in the last two years of our undergraduate careers and we've been keeping in touch and we decided it'd be great to be playing with each other again. And so we recently put, we've been thinking, My uh, one of my friends and I have been thinking about this idea for a good seven, eight years now. Oh wow. And we decided now it's time we've put in enough thought and we've put in we've talked about it enough we have sort of a skeleton of a vision and so let's get the people together and let's get something started yeah. so we got we reached out to a bunch of people the people that we've we've played with and they're gratefully they're all on board and it's full quintet. Yes, a full nice. quintet. Um, the only problem is that we are all long distance. Have <laughs> you guys, as a quintet, have you ever played together? Yes. Or? So so it's the same quintet that you played with in undergrad? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. But now they're all spread out everywhere. Now we're all spread out because <laughs> yeah. we all did grad school and now we have separate lives. Mm -hmm. And so we we are in, in Utah, in Cincinnati, in Colorado. And someone's and all Dallas, the way in Hawaii. And Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the long distance is going to be a, a bit of a problem. But ideally, we would meet once or twice a year for a week of intense rehearsals. And we would record and perform as many times as we possibly can. We had our first meeting through Facebook Messenger video chat. And we put together a lot of ideas. We've put a tentative date for our first project, which will be sometime in January. And we've decided a place, which would be in Colorado. We thought it would be best because since we all went to CU Boulder um, for our undergrad, that's where we started, that's where we met. And we would have a better size of an audience there because two of us are from Colorado and their families still live there. Yeah. yeah. So we, you know, they would have friends and family to come see us play. Mm -hmm. And you have more connections there. Right, more connections. And, and two people wouldn't have to go anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> so we don't really want to be a traditional, just show up and perform kind of quintet because I think that's not very interesting. What we want to do is more out of the box thinking, whatever that may be. We want to incorporate more interactive elements in our performances, more educational, more engaging with the audience. We thought maybe as part of our first project, we could reach out to some of our members on the moders, their high schools and or middle schools and reach out to their school and say here's what we propose here's a program we would like to do this hopefully it works out um, yeah, yeah yeah and then we would also we also want to perform as a quintet as well because we want to show people that while we do these non-traditional things we are also good musicians and we're mm -hmm. also capable of doing the traditional things in addition to all the other things that we we are doing Right, mm -hmm. right. That sounds really interesting. Are all the members on your team game for interactive things and elements and out-of-the-box things, or are there a couple that maybe are a little less, like, like I'll, I'll perform, but I don't know if I want to do any of the interactive stuff, or are you all, like, really gung-ho about it? 
I can say that we're all very enthusiastic about this project. We're very um, invested. Mm-hmm. I think some of us have more experience teaching and mm-hmm. putting up these programs than others. I know definitely I don't really have that much experience in teaching or doing a lot of interactive programs, but mm-hmm. I want to learn more and I want to be better at it because I think it's a different skill than just being able to show up and play. Yeah, it's just another skill that you have to practice and you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really vital. We need it more. It's becoming boring to just attend <laughs> a regular yes. concert. Like, it's traditional and it's educational and it's not for everybody. And I think it makes, it, it makes music, classical music, not very accessible yeah. in many ways. Because if it's not entertaining, if we can't grab onto people's attention, then... It's not accessible, and it's very expensive too. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be worth the time and worth the money that the audience is investing in mm-hmm. you. And a lot of things these days are competing for people's time that are and attention. very interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the difference between... It's like between? hard to compete. I just saw an article on Facebook, and I didn't read it, to be fair. But the title was like... <laughs> The title said, like, more and more younger audiences at classical performances want to have their smartphones out. And, of course, I think this was posted on Classical FM's Facebook page. And all the people that comment are like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's, that's so funny. stupid. I, I see this, too. And I don't click on the article. I just re- I I to read, read the, the comments. Yeah, because I know they're going to be bad. And I, I don't care. I know they're going to be entertaining. Do you guys have a problem with having the smartphones out? Because sometimes I want to play, like, Sudoku while I listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. My When my parents would come to my concerts, my dad would always bring a book because he's, like, always reading a book. Uh-huh. And my mom it's would always so be dark, like, it, well, not my undergrad. They would leave the lights on oh. for it. And... Yeah, my mom was always, like, so embarrassed. She's like, Dewey, put away that book. And I'm like, no, he can read a book while we play if you want. Like, I think that is I awesome. Don't mind. Like, if he wants to be listening in the you background. Can and, like, you can read a book. I, <laughs> I mean. My mom was very embarrassed, though, by well, it. So he and, would usually put it away. a lot of people, especially commenting, would think less of him because he was reading. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Would you be offended if your audience members were doing that? Because you actually play in a professional orchestra. Right. And feel free to disagree with us because mm-hmm. I'm curious. Right. Of course. I think as a performer, I would prefer for the audience members to be actively listening mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. having much, many distractions. Maybe the program notes. Um, because, I don't know, maybe all of these habits are from are rooted in tradition, probably. Um, like, for example, if you attended a Lady Gaga concert, you wouldn't be reading or out <laughs> on your phones unless you were recording her, mm-hmm. um, which is probably not allowed anyway. Um, so but there's more visual aspects to her show, right. I think. I think it's, a, it's a, a cultural or an evolution of humanity, probably, because mm-hmm. back then, classical music was the pop. Right. Yeah. Concert of mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. Um, if you weren't there, you were sitting at home, like, exactly. you know, doing mm-hmm. something. Yeah, when they <laughs> or, had operas, people were talking, they were drinking, they were yelling loudly yeah, as yeah. the opera was Same going Same thing on. with Shakespeare. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I think people have evolved, but the cl- classical tradition 
has not. But as an audience member, I definitely struggle to just sit there and listen. I know mm -hmm. a lot of my friends, especially in Aspen, it was pretty. It was a new experience for me. It was definitely a new environment of people, where where they were just a lot of people. Not everybody though were just totally focused. They would just sit down and totally immerse in what they were hearing. Mm -hmm. And I had a hard time doing that. So I would just yeah. always be reading the well, program they, notes as they start. They yeah, might right. look like that's what they're doing, but we don't really know for sure. <laughs> right. I mean, who knows <laughs> what's going on, but they would Some always... Some people are very adamant about like, this is their thing though. I, right. I know it. Yeah. yeah. Some people definitely do just get something else that I don't get when they go yeah. to a symphony orchestra concert. They really do. Like I yeah. don't get a lot out of sitting there except yeah. that sometimes I feel really bored and then oh there's a flute part that I know but otherwise right. I don't really well, know much. And I think it's fair to say we're all pretty type A women here. <laughs> right. So Agreed. we have to, you know, if if we could be getting two things done at once, we would prefer to be doing that. Sitting still for us is harder. It's very difficult. Yeah. yeah. I like to get many things done at the same time. Uh -huh. I don't have time to just sit around and just do nothing. It's hard for me just to sit and like watch TV or go to a movie. Yeah. I agree that's with you. True. I guess even, doing something even though else. there's something for me to look at and a story to follow. Unless it's a really compelling TV show. <laughs> you know what? I want to see one of the new Star Wars movies twice and I fell asleep at the same exact point and I, woke, <laughs> and I woke up at the same exact point both times and I was like darn it I was hoping the second time around I would really catch that <laughs> so maybe this is just a me problem <laughs> I get That's it from so my funny. daddy <laughs> I know it's so bad <laughs> oh but yeah, even a lot of even TV shows are not. I don't know. I I think of like Bra Breaking Bad is the last TV show that I think that every episode that came on, I was like watching the whole time and very intense about ooh, like what's actually gonna happen kind of mm -hmm. thing. But most of the time, yeah, even really good TV, I don't want to just sit there and watch it. I want to like be doing something with my hands mm -hmm. or like on Pinterest as well or now we have binging culture right so it's yes. not really meant to hold your attention you're just supposed to, I don't know I feel like it's almost like you're invited to do something else while it's on in the background yeah. almost, especially with making reads that's really where I do most of my tv quote watching yes I just have it for noise really mm -hmm. yeah. and to not feel lonely <laughs> well, wow, this got dark really fast. <laughs> Um, that's real. That's real. That's real. I, I'll validate that. Um, that's for sure, especially when you're living alone. Yeah. Well, and well if I mean, my husband's away. at work all day, so I'm like, all right, well, I'll put something on while I do this. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty normal nowadays. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I don't know about smartphones in the concert hall just because of the possible like rudeness of them. Yeah, well, I mean, off, and how how do we deter time, how do we deter them from needing that extra interaction? We, as the performer, should be giving them more. That's a ooh, that's a better question. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I agree with that part. Like the Harry Potter thing, they totally were watching that. Mm -hmm. No yeah, phones, no there. phones out. And that's a very dumbed down example. Why can't we do that with our standard classics? You know. Yeah, I think a lot of because we have those traditions of no phones and it's it seems very strict mm -hmm. um so people nowadays think that oh it's for old people or it's mm -hmm. for 
the snobby elite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really People not, who can sit for hours at a time. Yes, mm-hmm. and afford to attend these concerts in fancy outfits. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't have to be. I think um, the cl- really we need to evolve as as musicians, as performers, to mm-hmm. be more engaging and offer them something more instead of the same old show-up-and-play attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that's hard with people who have been in the orchestra for the last 40 years, though, to mm-hmm. say, all right, now we, now I'm asking more of you, but you're still mm-hmm. getting paid the same. <laughs> or, you know, right. like, now you have to do extra if you want more audience members or I, I don't know, anytime you confront a yes. tradition that's gonna mm-hmm. some people are not gonna like it. Yes, Changing you're right. Cultures. You're right. And the tradition is is a big part. Um, the musicians make a big part of the tradition mm-hmm. too. Mm. They are not willing to change, as you said. Um, the younger people in the orchestra are more active in trying to make the orchestra better. Whereas, unfortunately, the people who've been in there the longest with the, you know, strongest pull, really, don't do much. Mm-hmm. They don't like change. They don't want to do any more work than they have to. And it was really, it's disheartening to see these people get up first and scurry off stage when people are still clapping. Mm. It's really yeah. disappointing. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, it is refreshing to hear a third person who is classically trained and is playing in a symphony who might not be having the most ideal concert-going experience as well. Because I I was uncomfortable talking in our first podcast, even the little bit that we did, about how it's like, wait, it's like this big secret of mine. I don't really love going to the symphony, even though I'm, you know... Like, it, it, I should be the one who likes going because I'm trained to enjoy this. Mm-hmm. But not, it doesn't hit the nail on the head every time. And sometimes I am bored. So, I don't know. It's, it's nice that we're not just in an echo chamber with mm-hmm. the two of us and that there are other people that feel this way, too. So, thank you for sharing that. Yes. And, you know, I remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> we talk about teaching artistry like it's this new thing. But when we did that chapter study, it really started in the 80s, late 70s. Mm-hmm. And we're still trying to change this huge traditional culture. So it is reassuring to see more people our age um, value that audience engagement aspect of playing in order to take the tradition into the future, you know, make it relevant. I agree with um, Casey that I also am not really comfortable admitting that I don't have a great time at the, at the symphony mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So I also don't really talk about it, but... I'm sure there are plenty of people who share our sentiments. <laughs> right, right. So we're definitely not alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I really enjoy talking to you guys, and I'm very grateful to be a guest on your podcast. We loved having you as our first guest. It was good to see old colleagues and friends. Mm-hmm. And it's especially good to hear of success stories. Yes. So you playing mm-hmm. in a symphony is very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, at least, <laughs> it's you. like success, but she's still on her way to find that dream, that dream life. Exactly, yes. mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. definitely 
on my way. On on your way. <laughs> As we all Wherever are. that may go. Yes. I love it. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your pre-Thanksgiving time with us. Of course. Mom gave me all the time in the world. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that'll be it for Earbuds Engaged. <laughs> That's our outro now. That's our outro. <laughs> Bye, you guys. This was really fun.